ready, fire, aim. Just getting on, building momentum. So you're ready enough, fire into action, and then you build enough expertise around you to figure out what the true aim is. Hi, I'm Joel Pilger, and you are listening to episode 78 of the Rev Thinking Podcast. Today, my guest is David Flanagan at P2, and our topic is the Emerging Content Agency. Welcome to Rev Thinking, the podcast for creative entrepreneurs who know the best way to deal with the future is to create it. This is the conversation between creative leaders and consultants discussing what it really takes to run a thriving creative business. Hello, fans of the Rev Thinking Podcast. It's Joel here. Greetings from Sydney, Australia. All the way down here, doing some business in Sydney with clients and studios, production companies. Uh, also on my way to Melbourne in the morning, where I'm going to be hosting a cohort dinner tomorrow night with a bunch of really fabulous creative entrepreneurs, mostly from this part of the world, and then attending the NodeFest conference on Friday which I'm excited about because I've never been to NodeFest. So that will be a great opportunity to hang out with a lot of brilliant people in our industry from this side of the world. Now today on the podcast, I first want to say apologies that I have been so remiss and so busy. For those of you that follow me on Instagram or elsewhere, you know that I have been traveling nonstop I was, uh, gosh, in Europe and then back to New York and then LA and so forth. All that to say, I have been remiss in getting the podcast done in a timely way and I've recommitted to getting back on schedule. So hopefully you will be hearing the bi-weekly releases resuming in between Tim and I and our guests will be doing Rev Thoughts. So that's our basic routine these days is we do a Rev Thinking podcast one week and then a Rev Thoughts and then the pattern resumes. Today on the podcast is David Flanagan, otherwise known as Flanners. Now, Flanners works at P2 Content Agency in Sydney, and he is the director of content and strategy at P2. The thing that's interesting about David is he's got a background as a former agency guy, like an account, group account director. He also worked at Paramount at TEDx. Uh, He's even been a lecturer. But David is a really interesting guy because at P2, he is the the spearhead that is taking P2 into this future as a content agency. So P2 originally got its start in post-production, doing a lot of work in effects and VFX and animation and these types of things, editorial. But they've evolved over the years to become an agency. And David and I talk a lot about that. And his role inside P2 is really the person that is taking that offering and that approach to creating content for brands out into the world. Now, this is, of course, a topic that is near and dear to my heart because I believe the future for all studios and production companies and agencies that are in this space is to really go begin the conversation working with brands directly. Be the agency, the micro agency, the hybrid agency, the niche agency, and what have you. So I hope you enjoy this conversation between myself and Flanners at P2. So thanks for dragging me all the way to Sydney. How did I get, how did I get here? How did you get here? Well, this started the conversation, I think, probably in the uh, beginning of 2019. So probably back f- 
was it May, May time? Maybe we started a conversation, possibly right. earlier. Right. And that was through as a cracking story. We were looking at finding a uh, a consultant or someone with an opinion to help our agency kind of find its uh, its due course or find a new new direction for ourselves. And uh, we were looking at options locally. And there was a few guys we were kind of keen to, to play with. And it just so happened that one of our boys was listening to your podcast. Oh, really? And um, I don't know if I heard this part. Yeah. So they, it cropped up as, a, hey, have you guys heard of this chap called Joel? He's got a similar story to our background. He's run his studio. He's now branching out and sharing his advice with young guns to make sure they don't stuff up or they make the right decisions right and we thought hold on that could be good but he's based up in america we're down here in sydney australia how's this ever going to translate right i was skeptical to be to going into it going yeah sure fab yeah i love listening to your your style and how you're chatting to all the guys whom have similar stories to ours and it was really it was fascinating but i couldn't see the translation of wisdom into our market it's like that can't work well i do remember when we first talked uh, I think Pat was the one that was very specific saying what may or may not translate mm. from the States to Australia. And I think my honest answer was, I don't know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I don't know, yeah. but there was clearly some, a lot of areas that we could work on and we did. And I think there's been a really interesting evolution uh, in, in since, since, since we started working together and it's been a treat uh, working with really a team of four mm. leaders here within the company. And uh, although that's usually a recipe for disaster, having four opinions, uh, it's really been a, a really cool experience working with you guys. Um, so let me, let me start here. Let me ask this first question before we even get to P2. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you describe yourself? And what's the, in a nutshell, where you came from? on your journey to P2? The first part where P2 were a content agency. So for us, that's one part creative agency, one part production company. So mm-hmm. there's a bit of a, a combined model. And that really was a product of a, a lot of thinking and a lot of kicking around of what was frustrating me in the traditional advertising game. So my background is the big shops, the likes of an Ogilvy, Saatchi and Saatchi, kind of the global players you recognize. And those models were wonderful on the strict discipline of strategic creative conceptualization love that part of the story Mm -hmm. fair to say dysfunctional in the execution of those ideas in the fact that it was seemingly the creation of an idea was so disconnected from producers the dudes that will actually help me make and realize the idea it just invited in a lot of um, risk i found and a lot of um, it drew the process out longer than it necessarily needed to be it seemed and were you a creative, an account guy? What was your role when you were in, in the agency world? My role is a suit. So a, a group account director. So okay. responsible for the business strategically and creatively and, and the output for the client's objectives. That was That's my bag. Still is. Um, I get to wear those many hats, as you probably respect now, from um, anyone in agency land. You have to be versed in strategy to understand where the opportunity sits commercially, and in creative strategy. Right. So you need to understand that language, which I, I love. Um, then how you engage with creative souls who are just, I love that part. When you crack, you get to a brief and you speak to some uh, creative souls from writing or art direction or, or any of the disciplines, it's that extra leap, which I can't comprehend myself. I can't see it until I speak to these guys and they always blow me away with, ah, this is what you're after. Yeah. Yeah, exactly what I'm after. <laughs> well, one thing that I, th- I find curious is... I'll just say this, most people that I've encountered in our industry that have made the move from the ad agency and especially the big ad agency world, 
when they move over to, some might call it the vendor side, meaning the production companies or the, a motion design studio or something, generally they can't deal because they're suddenly thrust into a world where, oh, you mean I have to do stuff? I have to make things. I have to, you know, there's really, I'm not just here barking out orders and things happen. Like I am now the maker. I am the creator. Was that, was that a transition for you? Because it seems like you've always, like you fit, you fit like a glove, I think, here inside the P2 world. Yeah, it, it was a, certainly a, a, a wonderful realization. And I, the anecdote I can share was I was probably about two weeks, three weeks into the game here at P2, and we received a call from a client asking for a revision to some creative work. Um, and the producer was in the, in the room when they took the call and then scheduled a response. And I just said, well, how, what's the, well we're going to get the end of day. We'll have this fixed, recorded, redispatched, and edited, and out the door. I said, well, well in four hours. They're like, yep, actually, it's, it's under schedule now. Don't worry about it. And I'm thinking, tell you what, if I had had a request back at an old shop, that would have taken at least four days, not four hours. It was just phenomenal how fast you can get to tools to make things happen. Yeah. And I love, I love that. And married with the temperance a producer brings to my thought. <laughs> I love to spin the idea and see where it, what's possible and where it can go communication-wise. But I love the, having a running mate who's a producer to help go, yeah, Flan, but time dollars <laughs> let's course correct to make sure that you we can achieve strategically or get the communication through what you need and we can make it so that's exciting so now let's let's fill in anyone listening with a little history on p2 because the history of p2 is really one of post-production production company production studio that that sort of world but that's evolved greatly so when you showed up on the scene about what 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 was that transition, or where where was that point in the story? Yeah, absolutely right. So the, the agency has been progressing further upstream, as we described, from that post production production facilitation piece to actually we can not only create other people's scripts and realize that work, we can create our own scripts, and not only can we create our own scripts, we can work out the correct strategy to which those scripts are responsible for. So in effect, it kind of we kind of talk about it, it's kind of removing a bunch of middlemen that kind of can get in the way of a big process and cut to the chase of working with our clients to figure out what is it we need to do here? Because more often than not, marketers have got half, more than half the solution figured out. Mm -hmm. It's our skill and our responsibility as experts in creation is to help realize that ambition. And that's what I recognize most in the conversations we have with our clients is they've got half the solution. Let's then build on that and then bring it to market for them. Now, was there any history of a lot of ad agency work at P2 that, had, that we had to part ways with? Or was it simply, no, we have this vision of evolving and working more client direct, working further upstream, and therefore we're going to embrace this moniker called agency? is very much embracing what the, the model we believe is more effective for our clients. And it's the one I'm trying to, I guess, explain is that real close combination of strategy and creative and production all, all, all um, bound together. And we, we kind of had this phrase of a striker's mentality, which at the beginning when we were trying to forge this model and make sense of it, it was we all keep an eye on the end goal. And the goal for us is creating kick-ass content. Mm -hmm. So that means when I've got an idea and a producer, we got a better chance of realizing that and delivering great content. Now, what's the what's it like when you commit to we're going to run 
a studio like an agency. We're going to start reaching out, solving problems at the brand level. Again, this you called it swimming upstream or, or further upstream. Yep. Um, because I think this is a an ambitious ambitious goal, which I heart, wholeheartedly believe in. Okay, so I, I'm I'm I love it, but I know it comes with its own set of challenges because. Most studios, most production companies are so far down that food chain, they're in this reactive situation of there's a client, then there's an agency, then then they might be involved. Or they may be one step removed. It, it, it often depends. Mm. And they're in this very reactive position where often they are satisfying the needs of the agency, which doesn't necessarily serve the client. And they think, if we could just talk to the decision makers, if we could really talk to the people that understand the problem, mm-hmm. we could really do something great. And then they say, cool, let's just go talk to the brands directly. Okay, not not so easy. It's not. And um, I love the tension which the, the production team bring to my world because they're a bunch of doers. They're hell-bent on finding a solution instantly, like the example I mentioned earlier about just getting to um, an edit and revoicing and getting the work out. Our guys think in with tools. What camera, what edit, what process, what voiceover, what music mix, how we can source the footage, how it can be shot. Is it a half day or a full day? They're questions and answers which they're considering whilst I'm kicking around, what are we trying to say? <laughs> so mm-hmm. we were all already from the get-go trying to build those two worlds back together again with, okay, what's the, what's the strategic intent? I'm thinking we need to make sure that's clear. And we've got the tension of, and we can we can shoot it tomorrow. So we can, but we don't need to. So that is a, is a great dynamic to bring into a client conversation. Because for me, it just indicates ability to make and mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, the, the, the kind of, there's an old moniker of um, ready, fire, aim. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> and I, I love this because you can spend a lot of time just getting ready uh, to aim and then fire. But ready, fire, and aim, I, I'm a big believer in just getting on building momentum. So you're ready enough, fire into action, and then you build enough expertise around you to figure out what the true aim is. Mm-hmm which often becomes clearer once you get down the in the process of making a campaign. Mm-hmm. It's quite often difficult to forecast everything that's required at the beginning because your perspective's not clear enough. So I do like that idea of getting getting on with stuff. Sure. Now, how is the message generally received when the time comes, hey, brand, you guys seem awesome and you have some really interesting problems. We would love to talk to you. Does the idea of a content agency makes sense or is this like a new category that's a great one it's i i'd love to have the full answer to this my my suspicion is it's yeah an, we're working on it <laughs> we're definitely working on it and uh, content agency feels the the right description for where we sit in the spectrum of agencies or mm-hmm. and and production solutions purely because we recognize content is so diverse from the strict discipline of a it's actually a six second to a 15 or a 30 second piece of video content that lives be it broadcast or online, that's one discipline of content. But then we know there's the behind the scenes, the editorials, the interviews, the live streaming, the motion graphics, the animation, the radio, that there's so many different iterations of what content actually is. And recognizing that that is commercial content, it's it's some form or other of advertising. Mm -hmm. So we're we're not shy of understanding what it is, Mm -hmm. just that the bucket of advertising is so diverse content agency feels to be the better descriptor to represent where we sit to enable our clients to create a mixture of content. And when when a brand wraps their head around that hmm. and they're 
say, considering, well, we have a traditional agency. I don't know what they would call that. You and I might mm. call it a traditional agency, but of course, that agency would pick some other much sexier name. Right? Most likely, yeah. Right? It fully integrated, 360, <laughs> full service, yada, 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 right? All Whatever that. that is, right? Yep. Um, what's the value proposition, the USP, the, the, the angle that you say, sure, those guys are great, mm -hmm. and here's why you would continue to work with them, but this is how we do things. I guess our model is we've, the team we have are a bunch of experts who've been in the game for 20 years. So they come with all those box of tricks which you gain through experience. Not saying the big agencies don't have experience. They, they do often have a brain drain of great talent, unfortunately. There's an age ceiling in, in traditional agencies. If you hit 40, there are very few 40-year-olds rocking the agency corridors, which is a crying shame because they're super smart and have got all the experience you ever want in your team. And there's the opportunity for P2 because we work with these former soldiers of the game and we can bring those into our solutions. And this is a freelance model when they've gone through the models. These guys, professionals, understand what's required from a modern marketer, how to create content and how to do it efficiently. And efficiently doesn't mean cheap and fast. Efficiently just means less of the nonsense that gets wrapped around the process of creating a concept. So you don't need to convince your a group account handler how to what the business problem might be, and then reiterate this to a strategist. Finally get to a creative director who can then interpret it in a meaningful way, then get to a producer to figure out you can't afford it, so you go back to square one. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So funny. we kind of go, there's the game, and we get that's the game, but there's a, such a smarter way to do it. We can have a grown-up conversation with somebody like us who's hell-bent on making content just to deliver what your business objective is. Yeah, and I wonder if part of... Like, I love, love what you said about efficiency because a lot of people would hear that and translate that into, oh, faster, fast, cheap, and good. Mm -hmm. But efficiency can mean something like for that same six figure budget, yep. we can do a lot more, we can iterate more, we can bring more solutions into that one effort, that one initiative. 100%. So, the example we had recently a campaign. Um, Simple things. It's, it's, when you get to execution, down to how a voiceover performs a, a script, getting that right first time with energy, inflection, and meaning, great. We do that. So the client doesn't have to get some content and go, well, that's a bit flat. Don't, not sure about the script and try and unpick it and solve it themselves. Because we work with great talent. We know how to get the best performances. Mm -hmm. we, we think we've got a good ear there. Equally with um, finishing touches on graphic design and motion graphics. God, we've got such craftsmen. You've got to try and stop them sometimes going to the mm. nth degree. But they put a lot of love and care into the work which they do, which on any screen and any piece of film, you see, you just see the detail. You can see a piece of crafted work side by side with a piece that was put together with someone with less care or experience. And those pieces, that's efficient in my mind. You're working with quality talent who care, but what you get at the end result is an efficient way to get to a piece of quality um, because we've built a team around with people whom we love and enjoy working with. Right. And that, I think, romantically, because I'm a business romantic as well, that translates into what we deliver. A business romantic. Mm. What does that mean? Oh, it, <laughs> it's an article that was floating around recently, and I really love the idea of what it stands for. But it's it's kind of taken the idealistic look of work and imbuing it with romance. So just believing the best and in the craft and in the humans that are involved in what we do, because that's data is brilliant, cold technical skills are brilliant, but it's that human rubbing of the fingerprints together to get the extra delicate touch, right. which we feel. 
and you, I swear you put any piece of work side by side and you can see the work which is full of romance and some which isn't. <laughs> well, I'm almost reminded of uh, Simon Sinek's Infinite Game that he's talking mm -hmm. about right yeah. now, right? That there's a, there's a finite game mm -hmm. and then there's the infinite game, which is very cool. Well, one, one theory that I've been say, talking about for a few years <clears throat> is this idea that there are some darlings out there in the world. So I'm going to quote someone like Red Bull mm -hmm. or Marriott or BMW Films did it, right, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And some of those darlings created all this sensation because here were big brands producing content, right, before anyone else really had thought about it. And my theory goes like this, that slowly every day another brand is waking up to the reality of we have to be a content network or a content platform or a content channel because if we don't we will not if we are Hilton we will not compete with Marriott of course did they buy Hilton I don't know if I forget mm -hmm. anyways you get my point yep is are you finding that to be borne out in reality that increasingly every brand is realizing we have to have a content strategy we have to have an audience we have to think of ourselves as a, a platform and a network and now oh my god how do we feed this voracious audience now that's hungry for all of the things we have to say uh, i think you've nailed it there voracious is the uh, <laughs> is the term because it's an endless supply of content uh, which is overwhelming for any marketing department to think uh, their budgets are finite and their deliverables are becoming infinite and that is the dilemma which they're faced as a team and often these marketing teams are then bereft of skills it's often a senior player with a, possibly a junior team to help them deliver all their expectations where you describe a brand being a, a content distributor or platform or a, a publisher of sorts, absolutely. I think that's the um, certainly the way in which brands will continue to speak with us and how we as customers and consumers engage with them. It becomes very difficult or very challenging, I expect, for a, a marketing team to think, well, how the hell do I finance this? And you can if you have an organized thought, if you've got a clear product positioning, and then you can wash your work through every touch point which you own or which you purchase. Um, where our role comes in is to try and map that content journey out with our clients to figure with budget and timing in mind. And that's where the, the balance of where our model we think works really effectively is that we can understand with the, the finite budget how many iterations of the content, the thing, can we produce within the limited time and resource we have. And that yields much more than a single 30-second unit of content. You think, how can that 30 work? What's the behind the scenes? What's the extension? What's the sequential piece? Because you, sometimes you can't tell the whole story in one media channel. So what's the six second, what's the three six second sequential messaging look like? How can that translate into other social comms? So very quickly, you can take one potential executional idea and then create 10 to 12 or more content pieces. That's where it's, that's going back to the idea of efficiency. It's not necessarily cheaper. In fact, sometimes those budgets are need to be bigger, but the yield of assets of content to feed this voracious machine mm -hmm. is delivered. Um, that requires partnerships with clients, progressive thinking with the conversation. Um, too often you can fall into the media schedule says I need a 30, a 15, and possibly a six. Can I have those please? Right. Which I, can, I see how the media media johnnies i call them but the media departments have taken the lead in the conversation because they hold the purse strings if i'm a brand mm. i've got my million dollar budget and i'm speaking to a 
media expert to help me determine where I best invest my million dollars to get the best set of eyeballs. That has since changed the conversation where it used to be, where is my consumer? What is the best channel to reach them on? Uh, which your creative agency would normally have started those conversations, which has led to the creative solution in order to entertain and delight and sell to your target audience. Yeah, I'm thinking of, here's a common request that I've seen some of my clients have to handle. The, a brand reaches out to them, uh, and maybe this is even an existing client of theirs, and the request is something like, oh, we have a trade show coming up next month, and we need a trade show video. Go. <laughs> like, what have you got? Yep. And I'm, I'm just guessing that when that sort of an ask comes to you, there's that moment where if you're an agency, you're asking the question, Okay, yes, thank you for the project. That's nice. But are we solving the problem? Mm -hmm. Yes. And I, and the initial question in that scenario is, what's your theme? What's your core message? Because I, I, you know that in any presentation, people generally don't remember what you've told them, but they remember how you made them feel. There's right. that famous... Yeah, Maya Angelou quote. Beautiful quote. I love that. And I, I try and remember it each time I go into a presentation because as much as you sweat over the details to make sure that it's, it's full of entertainment and, and accuracy... It's really how you make folk feel that really matters. So when we ever receive a project brief, we want to know what is it that you want the audience to feel as a result of you spending an hour or two talking to them. And then we try and figure out what screens are available to help cement and, and uh, further that notion. And is it pre, is it during and after the event? All of these things we want to know. And that's kind of uh, what's what's possible to, to wrap, a, wrap an audience. Well, I especially love that that question of, okay, love that you have this project. That's great. What's the problem we're really solving? And in just by going upstream, as you call it, mm -hmm. and asking the question of the real decision makers, are we, can we th now create an, an asset that has legs and it has versioning? It can be repurposed. And like you said, you may be, you may be increasing the budget on just that project. But now you're creating something that, what was it, yield is the yep. word that you used for it? Yes, yeah. And here's that Maya Angelou quote. I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. So that's the quote. That's so good. I love that <laughs> quote. Yeah. It's, it's so true. Because you remember any conference or any lecture you've ever attended, you kind of go, yeah, I feel as though that person knows absolutely everything they need to know about that thing. I have confidence in them. What well, was the detail? You kind of go... Uh, well, there's this one thing, <laughs> but they, they probably told us half a dozen points, which you can't grasp, not in that instance, but you get a sense. Well, I'm reminded now of some of the, the work that you were showing us yesterday when you were rehearsing <laughs> for this, uh, this presentation you're doing tomorrow. What's the, give, give me the context so everyone knows what this thing is. Uh, this is a local ticketing conference. So those in the, in the game of selling tickets to live sport and entertainment events, where um, I'm presenting at the conference tomorrow in front of 200 delegates out of the, uh, the arena there. Uh, so I'm a little, little nervous, but uh, I did <laughs> share with you yesterday what we're intending to play and what, what the, the structure of the day is. Well, the thing that I noticed in your presentation was the, this consistent theme of when you're doing it right, meaning when you're producing content that moves the needle, there's this emotional quotient. Mm -hmm. There's this emotional element. And there were, there were several examples that you have in your, in your talk that really resonated. I mean, the, the, what was the R8, mm -hmm. the Audi R8 spot that's so 
fabulous. Uh, that one really got me. And I, and I, that's a great example of, I still remember how that spot made me feel. Yes. Yes. And when we were, cause I was paraphrasing it as we were walking, uh, to the agency and I, I, butchered it describing it to you but then i quite delighted at them playing the two minute clip which was the one is the star man the david bowie track uh which which audi managed to secure just after he passed away which is even more phenomenal right um it's a beautiful spot i'm sure people can dig it up very easily but uh, that was an, an awesome example of, of strategically being true to what Audi's trying to do mm-hmm. it's, it's not an ad i've worked on it's just an ad i'm inspired by uh, and it's crafted beautifully, and it's just a brilliant idea. So, so people that come to this conference to hear you, and they're in this ticketing live event world or space or so forth. Mm-hmm. What what's the big takeaway you're hope, hoping that they're going to walk away with? Oh man, the, we, we've having the experience we've got, we've cracked the so-called methodology. We think that's the, the secret for for content these days to cut through the cultural clutter. So we realize that you know everyone's aware of this. We get bombarded daily by. Also, all manner of messages, political, environmental, from entertainment, social, sports, technologies. I mean, it's, it's endless. So we know that we're up against this and brands are up against this sort of tidal wave of content. So our methodology, as we call it, the killer content methodology is to be strategically true. So you can't make things up about yourself. Mm-hmm. You can't bullshit. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, it needs to have a grounding and, and some slither of truth. And it needn't be huge, but it just needs to be true and ownable. And then expressing that in a creatively brilliant way. And that's the bit I love when you work with creative teams to actually express this idea and make it shine. The third part is to be expertly crafty. And that's not to mean devious. That's to mean to, to value the craft of production and use experts to help realize this wonderful strategic insight that's expressed beautifully in a creative manner, but just executed with craft. And our, our belief is that's the, the, the method of success for content to stand out. And what happens if, uh, if and when someone violates one or more of those? Then you have a so-called two-legged stool, which is prone to toppling over. And that means if you don't have a strategic insight and you've just got a cracking idea and you've made it look beautiful, great, you've got a beautiful piece of content, but it doesn't mean anything necessarily. Um, equally, if you've got a cracking insight, which is just so ownable and distinctive on a strategic level, but the creative idea misses this and the, the end result just looks dodgy. You've missed an opportunity there. So in any one of these misses, um, you do jeopardize what your content can achieve. Um, And it's not to say you've got to spend huge amounts of dollars on your craftily, beautifully produced piece of work. You consider the the Red Bull examples, you know, sort of sketched line art, cartoon almost is there. Right, quirky illustrations. Totally. And this has been a longstanding campaign platform for for Red Bull for for over a decade. Um, That's not expensive. But that's crafted. And, and they've probably saved millions and millions of dollars. To by... invest in Formula One. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but see, they, but they're shrewd, right? They know we have limited dollars. We can invest them more in Formula One rather than our TVCs. That's it. So that's a choice that yeah. they're making. But the, the, the commercials work. Yeah. Still crafted. You still know. You see that ad. You recognize it as Red Bull ad. Big tick. It's a, that's a huge win. Yeah. That, that, and you know what's interesting there? It's worth mentioning. That's not just a simple execution. You could never achieve that in a one-off. No. So someone had to go upstream to whether it's the CMO or whoever mm. and say, here's a strategy called we're going to employ an executional approach consistently over time so that anytime someone sees mm. one of our ads, they instantly know, oh, Red Bull. Yep. And that's a major accomplishment when you think about that. Yes. That and, alone. And particularly given how old that particular campaign 
design expression is. It predates a lot of the current thinking, which talks about distinct brand assets, owning mental availability, i.e. presenting your brand in a consistent look and feel, color, shape, style, over time. That's the trick. You're doing something consistently and backing yourself over time. You reap the rewards as a brand because you become synonymous with the Red Bull example with that particular sketch art. No other energy drink can go near it. Right. It's their style. Right. Yeah. Mm. And they kind of own that. If any other energy drink said, oh, we're going to upload the same strategy, <laughs> they're immediately being noisy and confusing. Yeah. And, and punters are thinking, oh, that's another Red Bull ad just done it slightly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right. This so, is like back in the day, they used to talk about, is, the, is it the Energizer bunny or the Duracell bunny? Yeah. Nobody could remember. No. <laughs> and you thought, oh, whoops. Okay. Well, that, yeah, that's maybe that idea one. wasn't uh, yeah. on, on point. It missed one of your three pillars. Possibly, yeah. Strategy by the sounds of it. <laughs> <laughs> so as you look into the future and you see where P2's going, what, what gets you most excited? Oh, man. There's so many exciting things. I think the being able to work with professionals from core disciplines in the communications game is a treat. So... Going back to that, we don't, we're not surrounded by middlemen. I deal with producers and editors and art directors and writers. And we mainline our thinking together to create what we believe is, well, it's only our belief, you know, which is the best solution for our clients. Um, the, the exciting part is that with this model is only just beginning to take momentum. Um, and it's a model I, I hope that more clients recognize as a sensible solution for what they need to achieve. Um, it's in repertoire with other agency models. Clearly, there's a lot of choice for different marketing needs. And we can't compete against everybody, but we believe the model which we're creating gives so many more benefits to clients' brands these days. Yeah, and I think the, I think the reality is that brands of all shapes and sizes are increasingly comfortable working with the boutique, the specialist, the expert. They may have their Madison Avenue agencies, Yep. But they may well be working with a hundred other agencies. So I think my encouragement to P two is: there's no reason you can't gain audience and have a meaningful conversation with with any of those brands. Hundred percent. And I think complementary to what other larger agencies can possibly offer, then that's great. If you have a real meaty marketing communications challenge, you need to try and get some competitive advantages in. In most of the categories in Australia, are massively. Um, competitive in parity you look at telcos it's very difficult to determine which product is any better than the other they got there's a blue one a yellow one and a red one hmm. kind of all the same no one likes any of them <laughs> those companies you can see possibly wanting to invest more into gaining consumer insight well maybe probably a bit less and actually believe in what they stand for themselves and actually create work the, the market will tell you straight away if you're a, you're onto a winner or not but you know, you can spend a lot of time <laughs> being gun shy. And going back to the analogy earlier, they can be ready, aim, fire. No, no, not yet. Ready, aim, not yet. And just become inert and not doing anything, which a lot of brands have struggled with and then disappear. There's... Yeah, it makes me wonder if a brand came to you and said, we really like your approach. We like your thinking. We like the way you guys work. Can we try something? Can mm. we test something? Because... For us to do it the traditional way, it's going to take months mm -hmm. and a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of decision making and so forth. But we have this suspicion that we could ready fire and test something. Mm -hmm. Is that something that would 
that intrigues you? I love those those sort of instincts. Part of our, our kind of makeup is that we like to agitate, and that's not in an aggressive way, but that's more just to challenge the, the assumption. So if a client comes to us and has an itch, we go, oh, that's interesting. So let's challenge your brand. Is it any assumptions? You've always done it a certain way. Is that for why? Is it proven? If not, then possibly there might be a better way to play. And if there's an instinct to take a brand somewhere, and we, we do quite love the instinctive, um, and if we can see that, and we often do, we can build that very quickly, an expression or a piece of content that allows the, the client and the instincts to see, oh, that's exactly what I had in mind. You've taken it out of my head, <laughs> yeah. and now we can put it in front of clients, uh, not clients, uh, customers, customers, and yeah. see if they respond to, uh, to what our instincts were. Yeah, that almost think, makes me think there's an interesting angle or message or offering or something. Mm that it would be interesting to go to to brands that naturally the bigger the brand the it's almost the bigger they are the harder they fall yeah. thing that the bigger the brand the more risks they averse they are mm-hmm. the more well, we don't want to try anything until we've really thought it through and we've done our research and we've had our focus grouping and we you know we know we know we know we know we know okay now we're going to double down and put our millions of dollars into this thing which is sometimes a bit late because that, yeah. that process you described can take 12, 14, 16 months. Right. So and then by then, the market's changed and all the assumptions are wrong. But it, it's interesting to think if you were at a brand, could you m- maybe set aside, I'm going to take a portion, maybe 10% of my annual spend and put it into R&D called Let's Try Shit. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, let's throw yeah. some people and some crazy ideas and some dollars at this and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And then every now and then, you're going to hit light, lightning in the bottle. You're going to hit the market timing right, the right message, the right creative, all these things. And you say, now I know what to invest in. Yes. And that's a bit of that ready, fire, aim philosophy. Entirely. And if you're considering trying to figure out a solution, you often traditionally would put that in front of a research group, which is artificial. You still got to invest time and effort to create the concept and visualize it in certain ways, which a group can see and respond to. But you're putting that into a room of 12 people. And I've sat in those groups behind the glass watching people. I've, I've been in the groups responding to work. And it's, to be fair, it's, it's not, not a true indication of work whatsoever. There's so many subtle dynamics occurring within that group. It feels like a complete waste of time because mm-hmm. the feedback you get is not at all useful. But you've paid handsomely to experience something or put a checkbox to say, yes, Mr. CEO, CFO, I have researched this. And these are the indications which we've achieved from that. Yeah, but no one in the market has actually seen your ad yet or yeah. been stimulated by your content to actually change an opinion or do something any differently. So, yeah, I'm a big believer in trying to at least test market, mitigate against um, huge expense, but at least get it in the market where it can perform. Mm. Mm. So now, what are we? We're at the end of 2019, getting ready to go into 2020. Do you think 2020 is going to be a good year? Is it is it going to be a good year for Australia or the other markets that you guys might play in? Do you think it'll be a growth year? Uh, I'm, a, as I mentioned, a, a business romantic, and yeah. I love the symmetry of the 2020. It says it's clear vision. <laughs> I, like, I like it. I love this. And and as you pointed out the other day, it's, it's, it's the start of a new decade. And I think that should, with it, bring a new slate and new impetus to everything which any industry is doing. I think the, you always get permission each new year to go, you know, your New Year's resolution, I think they just get a bit bigger on a decade change. You go, okay, for the last, because you're forced into thinking, for the last 10 years I've been promising to do X, to give something up or do something new. I think my sense is 
on the turn of 2020. A lot of um, brands can go, tell you what, I'm actually going to stand, I'm going to stand for whatever it might be. If it's value pricing, if it's um, new agile models, if it's backing yourself, if it's trying new testers of brands, if it's all these things, I, I think, I'd hope that 2020 encourages that sort of sentiment professionally. And you'd hope that trickles into the, the rest of the land. Well, it is exciting to think that the days of us saying in the 20 teens <laughs> are rapidly coming to a close. Yeah. And in a few months, we will be saying, well, now in the 2020s, mm. this is how it is and this is different. Because we talk, we'd look back and talk about the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, right? Yeah. Now we're about to start talking about the teens in past tense. <laughs> yeah. So it is this really interesting mm. inflection point in our collective history as, I guess, as a planet yeah. in a way, but where, and where we are in the industry and what we're doing with it. Yeah. I, I'm hoping as well it gives us a sense of growing up a little bit. Because we've been running impetuously from one new idea to the next, and it's been massively accelerating since, I don't know, the turn of the millennia, right? So the last 20 years have been, huh, you know, <laughs> Apple's just gone ballistic, Google, Facebook, never, all these things which were never an occurrence. We're more connected in, in any particular way. We can stream TV. I'm living in the future. My younger self is thrilled that I can watch <laughs> right. the Premier League football match on a phone whilst on a train with no hiccup or delay. And the recent Rugby World Cup, it's in time zones, and I'm watching content in ways my younger self is going, you lucky man. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm hopeful that the 2020s, I mean, you look back at the, the 1920s, the, the swinging 20s, and it was all that sort of that scene of liberation and, and joy the vive and all these things. Mm -hmm. I think maybe, you know, politi politically we're, we're stable here. The government should be now in, in office for a while. That should kind of calm things down at that end of town, which should give business confidence to make broader plans and be more stable, which then ultimately trickles down into society. When we've got some institutions and we've been rocked, the banks have dropped the ball, the big Royal Inquisition about how they've been performing, behaving. They're kind of the institutions surrounding us, which are the bedrocks, they've been a bit wobbly. And I'm hopeful that they would now settle down and which is an opportunity for brands who are responsible to kind of take the lead and kind of usher us in in a, it's okay, calm voice is a good voice, I find. Yeah. Um, everything needn't be, go, 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 hectic, hectic, hectic. Or wait, wait, wait. Mm. Too much uncertainty. Yeah. We don't know what's coming. Yeah, hold. Right, right. the US elections, the Brexit, the, all these other, you know, global yeah. warming. And yes. So yes. to the extent that we can hopefully see some uh, calm and stability come in, businesses, I do believe, will be more comfortable investing and that means marketing mm. and that means content and mm. you remind me the the phrase which i, I saw a, an old creative director a colleague of mine a friend of mine mentioned how he's they've been noticing that we've spent we've not liberating our brands and giving them wings to fly we've been too preoccupied with lading lading our brands with bulletproof heavy bulletproof vests and that's kind of true we've been safety first which is so boring <laughs> you know versus what if Set it free, let it cut through, let it fly high. That's exciting and liberating to a romantic, you know. Uh, safety, yeah, good. Do that for a little while. <laughs> but but at some be a point, bit brave. Yeah, at some point, you got to turn it loose and see what it can do. think so. I think so. <laughs> well, I think that's a great note to, to, to end on. Uh, the, the business romantic, getting your, uh, your last plug in for that, <laughs> that optimistic viewpoint of, of what's possible. When a, when a brand is willing to invest and try and experiment and go for it. Yes. Yep. Brilliant. Well, thanks for the conversation. Thanks, y'all. Loved it. You've been listening to the Rev Thinking Podcast. 
For more information on upcoming accelerators, events, or to learn how RevThink advises creative entrepreneurs like you, connect with us at RevThink.com.